0: I took the bait two weeks ago. I taught on the last five verses of Romans eight, and i said, and I just thought to myself i can 't not go back and do the rest of the chapter, and so we 're going to, uh, but in all honesty it 's something that 's been on my heart for some time is to teach through this remarkable chapter romans chapter eight so we're going to take bit by bit and make our way through it. Reed's going to continue through First Thessalonians, I'm going to be in Romans 8, so every other week you'll alter, we'll alternate back and forth between the two. So I invite you to open to Romans 8 and or follow along in your And I'm going to read the first two verses and then we'll just launch right into it. Romans 8, 1 and 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to uh, open up this text before us today. Um, With the help of your spirit, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart and our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray that you would be honored and glorified both in the preaching of the word uh, from these lips and in the hearing of your word from the ears of everyone gathered here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have once made the audacious claim that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible, okay? And I am not the only one to say that, okay? In fact, many men much greater than me and wiser and older and now dead have said that, um, But one of the reasons why many people consider Romans 8 to be such a pivotal chapter, uh, such a, like, mountaintop chapter, is because of the full range of what it covers. Uh, It covers the entire range of God's saving work, from predestination before time, before the foundation of the world, all the way to glorification, which is still future for us. It covers everything in between there. Justification, which is God's declaration that because we believe in Christ, we are not guilty, but rather innocent and righteous in God's sight. It deals with sanctification, which is growing in godliness, becoming more and more like Christ as we walk with him throughout life. And it, of course, covers future... uh, perfection, if you will, the, 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 the consummation, the completion of our salvation when, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, and we actually have our bodies redeemed, not just our souls, but our actual bodies are going to be redeemed, and which means we're going to get new ones, and uh, that's something we don't think a lot about, but Romans 8 helps us to think about that and to rejoice in it. Not only that, but Romans 8 lays a heavy emphasis on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. It talks a lot about walking in the Spirit, having our minds set on the things of the Spirit. Uh, I think, maybe I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think 21 times the word Spirit is used in Romans 8, and 19 or 20 of those, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, not our human spirits, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in Romans 8, we see, gives life, like new life, new birth. The Holy Spirit gives uh, this, this work of sanctification. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live in victory over sin. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray. Now get this, the Holy Spirit actually prays for us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And the Holy Spirit gives us this rich and full assurance that we are children of God and co-heirs with Christ. This is all in Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8 also lays out for us the perfection of Christ's work as high priest. We sung a lot about the cross today. And the cross points us to Jesus Christ as the high priest, as our high priest, who sacrifices himself and then intercedes for us as our high priest. As high priest and savior, Jesus doesn't merely try to save. He doesn't just make salvation possible. He doesn't make us merely savable, but he actually saves. Jesus is a perfect savior for all who trust in him. Romans 8.33 says, Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, 34, says Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes as our high priest for us. Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and resurrection and his present intercession is perfect, it will not fail, he saves to the uttermost. Not only that, Romans 8 also gives us some of the most precious and glorious promises in all of the Bible Romans eight you've heard this I bet and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose not some things not most things but all things everything in life works together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose that's a that's a promise you can build your life on don't you think Romans 8.32, which I think might be the, the best one, and Reed mentioned it earlier, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's the logic of that. God delivered his son up for you. How will he not also with his son give us everything that we need? in life and eternity. He will. He's given his son for us. And then, of course, Romans 8, 37 to 39, which I covered a couple weeks ago. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? No. Nothing. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from God's love. And so all of this is in Romans 8. And we need to know all of it because it's meant to produce in the Christian a full assurance of, that these promises belong to us, that we are beloved children of God, now and forever purchased by Christ and dwelt by the Spirit, kept by Christ and destined for glory. That's what Romans 8, that's where it leads us. The ultimate result of Romans 8, I think, being lodged in our souls is for us to be launched into courageous, joyful, faith-filled, spirit-empowered obedience in all of life. If it's lodged in our souls, I think that's what it produces. And so I'm hoping, praying, that over the next few months, it will be. Now here's what I'd encourage you to do as we're going through Romans 8, okay? I'm going to take two, three, four verses a week, approximately, and um, I'd encourage you to memorize it as we go through it, okay? So for the next two weeks, Romans 8, 1 and 2, work on that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Those two verses, by the time we meet again next week, or meet again in Romans 8 next week, two weeks, hopefully you have that memorized. So let's just begin at the, here, in, here in the first two verses and work our, we're gonna work our way through the chapter. Um, Romans 8, 1 is a wonderful promise. And it's one that we all, I think, desperately need to know and believe. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We need to know this deep down in our souls, down to our bones that if we are in Christ there is therefore now or ever or never will be condemnation for us but we need to do a bit of spade work before we park on this declaration no condemnation we need to work we need to go back a couple of verses into Romans 7 because Romans 8 1 I don't know if you noticed but it says therefore anyone see that therefore in Romans 8, 1? Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, it's always helpful to look back at what was just said so that you know why the therefore is there, okay? So let me just briefly go back to the last few verses of chapter seven. In the latter part of chapter seven, Romans chapter seven, that is, Paul describes what I believe to be the reality of conflict within the believer. There's an ongoing conflict With indwelling sin. With the reality of temptation and indwelling sin. Christians are those, no doubt, who have been made new in Christ. We've been given a new heart with new desires. We are now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But sin has not been completely eradicated. And um, I think every Christian knows this. I think every genuine Christian understands that there are temptations, there are battles. Sometimes it's with attitudes, it's with things that come out of our mouths, it's with desires in our hearts that are not right, they're not good. Sin has not been completely eradicated. So the Christian is in this place of inward conflict. Sometimes the conflict is more intense, sometimes it's less intense, but it's there. Is everyone tracking with me there? I think we recognize that, don't we? There's an ongoing battle, and we talk about that a lot. There's a battle. We're in a battle. And here's the thing. It's not just a battle out there in the world. There's also a battle going on in here, in our minds and in our hearts. So listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, and 23. He said this, <clears throat> For I delight in the law of God in my inward being or inner being. Now, Paul there is saying he delights, he loves, he cherishes God's law in his inward being. Now, inner being, I think, means the renewed person, the new person that Paul is in Christ. Paul here is not saying he delights in the law of God merely intellectually or as a means of self-righteousness, because when he does it, he looks better than other people. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. As a Christian, he's saying, I delight in God's law, in my inner being. Then he says this, but I see in my members another law waging war. Now the members are members are your body, hands, feet, hand, eyes, ears, and so forth, okay? So I, he says, I see another law in my members waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So Paul says that the law of sin takes his members and he falls prey to sin and actually sins. And that's what happens. This leads Paul to cry out for deliverance because he recognizes this is an ongoing battle. And so he cries out, maybe you've heard this before, Oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death where is deliverance going to come from Paul says where is deliverance going to come and rescue me and he says this thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who's going to save Jesus Christ is going to save who delivers this wretched man Paul and me and you, sometimes we feel this, oh my goodness, who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? Jesus Christ saves. Now, this is really important, what Paul says next. because He says, oh wretched man, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And then he doesn't say this, ah, now the battle's done. He doesn't say that. Verse 25 goes on to say, after it says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, it says, so then, in other words, drawing a conclusion, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. So the, the battle, the conflict continues for the Christian. And our lives in Christ is one of, Seeking and walking in increasing victory in this conflict. but We need to know that the conflict is there. And this is where the promise of Romans 8, 1 comes in and why it is so remarkable and precious and such good news. It's because in the conflict with indwelling sin, brothers and sisters, listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's conflict, but not condemnation. So here's the big idea from the first two verses as I see it. There is no condemnation now or ever for those who are in Christ Jesus because if you're in Christ, you are free from the law of sin and death. Now this word condemnation is kind of a daunting word. It's a word that... um, well, quite frankly, at least out in the world, and maybe sometimes we think of it as like, ooh, that's one of those, almost like a cuss word. Like to condemned or condemnation is bad word. But it's actually a good word when describing the righteous work of a judge condemning a criminal, isn't it? We, that's what we want judges to do. <laughs> we actually want them to condemn criminals. We want them to pronounce guilt and punishment on true criminals. We do. In fact, the Bible says that a judge who does not condemn the guilty, that judge is an abomination to God. It's a stench in his nostrils. He hates that. Because condemnation has to do with true guilt and it has to do with the righteous punishment because of guilt. In fact, listen to the, uh, the definition from the 1828 Webster's Dictionary says this. You know how dictionaries are changing like definitions these days? I like going back to the 1828 one, you know. Um, it says this. The condemnation means this. The judicial act of declaring a man guilty and dooming him to punishment. So it's the judicial act of declaring guilt and dooming that person to Punishment, that's condemnation. And the condemnation that you and I need to be worried about that's being drawn out here in Romans 8.1 that we need to be concerned about is not condemnation that comes from another person, any man. It's not condemnation that comes from the government. It's not condemnation that comes from even the devil. It's the condemnation that comes from God. To have condemned, to truly have condemned be the banner that hangs over you and I, would be the worst thing that could ever be said about us in this context. To have condemned. Now I think we need to park here a bit. Because... I think we have become accustomed, I, don't, I wouldn't say too accustomed because we should talk about these things, but we become accustomed to speaking about God's grace and love and mercy and kindness apart from his severity and holiness and judgment. And when that happens, we lose sight Of why God's grace and mercy and love and kindness are so stupendous. It is because we deserve condemnation. That's what we deserve from God. Our sins deserve the full fury of God's condemning wrath. And before we were converted, guess what? We were under that wrath. Here's what John says in John 3.36. There's a question whether this was the Apostle John or John the Baptist, but John said this, one of the Johns. said this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. This is what makes the declaration, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Such a sweet message for us, isn't it? Maybe the sweetest thing we've ever heard Instead of getting condemnation, we get mercy, we get grace, we get kindness, we get love. I love the word no here. Okay, there is therefore now no condemnation. It's actually interesting. The word no used in Romans 8, one is a different word that, it's a different Greek word than the word no that's often used in the New Testament. And... It's actually the first word in the sentence in the Greek manuscripts, uh, pointing to it with emphasis, okay? So it's not just that there is not much condemnation or not as much as we deserve. It's that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. None whatsoever, zero, zilch a not an ounce of condemnation for those who are in Christ. All the guilt and all the punishment our guilt deserves has been nullified. It's been brought to nothing. I love how Paul puts this in the present tense. He says, now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus So, if you're in Christ, no matter what you call, no matter when you call this passage to mind, or no matter when you need to be reminded of it, it is always now. There's therefore now no condemnation. Do you need to hear that today? Well, it's a now word for you. It is a now word for you. If you are in Christ, there is no condemnation now. Not just at a particular time when you got saved and felt really sorry for your sin. Felt the weight of your sin in an overpowering way. Not just when you had a super day, there's no condemnation for you. Listen, on your best day, there's no condemnation. And on your worst day, there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. Which leads to the question, how on earth can this be? How on earth can this be? Well, we need to know how it can be. You see this idea of no condemnation, it can't just be a cliche we throw out there. We need to know, we need to know how this can be. Because that's a foundation you can build on. How can this be? Well, there's no condemnation because in Christ you've been set free. Because you have been set free from the law of sin and death. Now, the law of sin, I think, here refers to the ruling principle of sin and the condemnation of eternal death that comes from sin. So condemnation is contrasted here with freedom or liberty or emancipation. There has been a great emancipation that's taken place if you're in Christ. No condemnation. You are free. And this is how, this is what we need to ponder for a bit, I think. Because in what way have we been set free? I just, I said earlier that sin has not been completely eradicated, And I think our lives bear that out, and I'm not saying that we're okay with sin, but just the fact that we still battle against it, we understand it has not been eradicated. So in what sense have we been set free from the law of sin and death? In what way? Well, we need to understand this because it's more than just, like I said, a cliche Or just a kind of claiming freedom? How are we free? So let me give you three answers. And these kind of build on one another. So in what sense are we free from the law of sin and death? Well, we are free, three words, decisively. We are free increasingly. And we are free fully. Or maybe I would say finally, And before you're like, wait a second, I think he's schizophrenic. I'll talk about that in a bit, okay? Finally, we need to understand that. I'm not schizophrenic, I don't think, but uh, we'll get to it, all right? So we are free decisively, we are free increasingly, and we are free finally. Let's talk about each one of those. First, there is no condemnation because you have been set free from sin decisively through the death of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. So verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Here's what verse 3 says. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. Did you hear that? You are free from condemnation because your sin, if you are in Christ, your sin and guilt was condemned in Christ on the cross. He took the condemnation that you and I deserve. He took it, right? That's what happened at the cross. There's this great exchange. Your condemnation was given to Christ. He was Treated as a condemned sinner, though he didn't sin. It was your sin and my sin that he took. He was treated as a condemned sinner. And his innocence and righteousness has been given to us. And this has happened once for all. Never to be done again. Never to be done again. He does not need to do this again and again and again. You and I, if we are truly in Christ, we don't fall out of this and back in and out and in and out and in. And I want to show you later why that is so important for our lives and our actual battle against sin. So there's no condemnation. It has been fully taken by Christ himself. So there is none left for you. There's this old song, I think it's uh, Christ, what burdens bowed thy head. And it talks about that bitter cup of the, of the wrath of God against sin. It says, that bitter cup, love, speaking of Christ's love, drank it up. And now what is left for us? Blessings from God. Because Jesus took it for us. The Father condemned your sin in the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, so you are free, decisively through Christ. But you're also free increasingly. There is no condemnation because you are free. In addition to a decisive freedom through the cross, there is a in, there is an increasing freedom from actual sinning. Verse 2 tells us how we've been set free. It says this, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The spirit of life has set you free and is setting you free. So there is a freedom that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit giving us life and renewing us and empowering us to walk In victory today with our feet on the ground, not just thoughts up in the clouds, but our feet on the ground, victory over actual sinning today. Before we were Christians, we not only sinned, but we were absolutely dominated by sin. And not only that, we loved it. Jesus makes that clear in John 3. He says, light has come into the world, but men love the darkness. But now in Christ, the cord of sin's power has been severed. The absolute domination of sin has been broken, and there is a new life and power indwelling through the Holy Spirit that strengthens us to walk and live increasingly free from sin. Listen to what Paul says just later in Romans 8, verse 13. It says this. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So how do we fight against sin? By the Spirit. With the Spirit's help. How do we put put sin to death? It's by the Spirit. If by the Spirit you put to death death, The deeds of the body, you will live. So there's no condemnation. You are free. The Spirit has set you free by severing the cord of sin, breaking sin's dominion, and empowering you to walk in freedom from sin in Christ. Now, You're not only free decisively, you're not only free increasingly, you're you're not only free decisively and increasingly, in one sense you are set free fully. I need to explain this. Um, Later in Romans 8, we see hints of a future hope that is so secure and so guaranteed that Paul actually speaks about it in the past tense. Listen to this. Romans 8 Verse 30, those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom God called, he also justified. And those whom God justified, you know what it says next? He also glorified. Glorified, past tense. He also glorified them. Now, glorification is still future. That happens when Jesus comes. We are glorified. We get glorified bodies and we will be with him forever in perfection. But again, Paul is speaking with such certainty that if God began a good work, he will complete it. He will. And so Paul can speak with such certainty that he uses the past perfect tense and says glorified It's as though it's already done. There's this amazing verse in Hebrews 10 where the writer of Hebrews says, for God has for all time perfected those who are being sanctified. And so if you're justified through faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says not only that you will be glorified, but in a certain sense you are or have been glorified let me just ask you a question when you think about the return of Jesus Christ and all that that means what comes to mind I've no doubt you think of eternal life you think of evil and injustice done away with you think of all sorrow and pain removed Um, everything that is wrong will be made right right what about this What about this? When Christ returns and those who are in him, we we long for that day. What about this? When Jesus returns, you and I will be done sinning forever. We will never sin again. Think of all the harm that we bring upon ourselves and sometimes on other people because of our sin, our lips, the things that come out of our mouths, the things that we do with our hands. When Christ comes again and we are glorified, we will never, ever, ever sin again. All that grief that comes from sin will be gone because we won't sin anymore. We'll never sin against the one our souls love, namely Christ. We'll never sin against other people. You and I will be fully, finally, and forever freed from sin. It's a guarantee. The one who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So there's no condemnation. You have been set free from sin and death decisively through the cross, increasingly through the indwelling spirit, and fully at Christ's coming. So here's a question. How do you know that you actually have a claim on this promise, no condemnation? How do you know this is a promise you may take to the bank? It's not just because it feels like it's something you probably need. We all do. This banner of no condemnation triumphantly flies over a particular group of people. Not everyone, not everyone can lay claim to this wonderful promise. So who is it for? Do you see in verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? That's the question. That's the issue. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Now this is one of Paul's favorite phrases, a descriptor of a Christian. He describes a Christian as a man or woman or boy or girl in Christ more than any other way. He describes us as in Christ more than being servants of God or children of God or any other descriptor there may be in the New Testament. It is, are you, excuse me, Paul describes Christians as those in Christ. So the question is, are you in Christ? Are you in him? It's an all-important question. If you are not in Christ, then you are still under condemnation and so today I urge you to leave here knowing that you are in fact in Christ not just a religious person not just someone trying to do the best you can not someone who enjoys going to church from time to time or even enjoys going to church every day not someone who merely sees your need but someone who's in Christ When it comes to God's holiness and your sin and the condemnation you deserve to be in Christ means this, that you have run to Jesus Christ for shelter. That you have run to hide yourself in him. And that you have, in fact, hidden yourself in him. In one sense, it is through simple faith that you and I are joined to Jesus Christ. But I also would hasten to say that it is not a matter of little consequence. Like, oh yeah, I believe, I believe. I believed that a long time ago. Or yeah, I believe that stuff. It's not of little consequence. It may be simple faith, but that faith is not a matter of merely giving your mental assent to certain doctrines. It is a faith that places you in him. That unites you to him. I love the old hymn, Rock of Ages. You guys ever heard that hymn before? Augustus Top Lady, here's one of the verses from Rock of Ages Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Rock, that first line, rock of ages, cleft for me, referring to Moses when God hit him in the cleft of the rock. It's a picture of what Christ does for us. He hides us from the weight and holiness. The, what well, hides us from God's, displeasure because of sin rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee have you come to Christ and hidden yourself in him is he more than just a buddy for you someone that you can call on when you're in really big trouble is he someone you are so attached to that you have hid yourself in him well if you would say I don't know then do so now And let Christ set up that banner over you. No condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because you're free in Christ from the law of sin and death. Well, what would it look like if you were free? What would freedom look like? What would this glorious freedom look like if you experienced this freedom? No condemnation. Why? Because you're free. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. What effects would it have on your life if you were free? This is where I want to end today. Let me give you five. Number one, it would give you a confidence in approaching God. It is. Confi- excuse me. It is the only grounds of confidence in approaching God. Do you have confidence when you draw near to God or when you approach God? Truly, do you? I tell you, I, I think many don't. When I get my eyes off of this truth, I certainly don't. The proof that many don't, I think, is that they never actually approach God. People who name the name of Jesus say they're Christians, but they don't approach God. <clears throat> they don't draw near to God. They don't call upon his name. Let that change today. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. And this is the only way that you may actually come near God it's because he's removed the guilt that our sins incur he's removed it and not only now this is amazing so he, the book of Hebrews it's uh one of the overarching themes in Hebrews is Jesus is such a perfect high priest that he opens wide the way to come into God's presence for all who draw near to God through him so it's not just that we kind of with our tail between our legs come close to God and hope that he doesn't like, you know, turn us into burnt toast or something. Um, but it's that we may through Christ draw near with confidence. And not because, not because you're a confident person. Not because you have a certain personality. It has nothing to do with with your performance. It has everything to do with Christ's. So, if you knew this freedom, you would have a new confidence to approach God. Second, if you knew this freedom, it would help you live in victory over sin more. It would. Now, this may seem somewhat counterintuitive. I wonder if you, th- if, if you think this way or have thought this way at times. We sometimes think that um, the threat of condemnation is a good thing to kind of light a fire under our rear ends to get us, whip us into shape. Right? Like, you know, God is always there ready to sh- like just take us out. Now listen, sometimes... People need to hear the, the truth that God is, will bring severe judgment if we don't repent. We need, we, that's true. But the New Testament, more often than not, actually works differently. It points us in a different direction. And it's this. Grace empowers obedience. Forgiven. Here's what I like to say, okay? Forgiven sin... Forgiven sin is the only sin that we can have any victory over. It's sin that's actually forgiven, not sin that we're trying to get forgiven for by our efforts. Only forgiven sin is sin that we can have victory over. This, I think, liberates us for a life of growing in holiness, a life of growing in Christlikeness. There's a, a great line from the hymn, "O 4,000 Tongues, to sing, and it says this. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. Think about that. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Only canceled sin through Christ has had its power broken in your life. And what sins have been canceled in Christ if you're in him? It's not a trick question. All of them. Right? Every single one of them. And so understanding that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ helps us to take our eyes off of ourselves and turning in on ourselves and getting all tied up in knots about our deficiencies and sins. Now listen, we should feel we should feel remorseful and contrite for our sins, no doubt. But then it takes us out of ourselves to lift our eyes to the one who has given us this position of no condemnation, and we walk in his strength and make headway in our battle against sin. Number three, if you know this freedom we've been talking about this morning, it will be a strong weapon to silence the accuser. And of course, by the accuser, I mean the devil. Revelation says the accuser of the brothers, the, the devil, he accuses us day and night, or accuses them, the brothers, Christians, day and night before God's throne. The only reason why the devil's accusations have any effect on us is because often they're not false accusations, unfortunately. Right? He often, and I he often brings up things that we've actually done. And so the comeback to the accusations of the devil, the comeback, no, I didn't do it, well, sometimes we did. Or the, the, the response, no, I'm actually a really good person, isn't helpful. Or the response, no, I don't deserve that, actually isn't true. What's our response? Well, it's Romans 8:33 and 34, or it's what we've been talking about today. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because Christ took my condemnation. And so we can I think it was Martin Luther said something like, "When the devil comes with accusations and says, "You did thus and so, and you're such a bad person and you deserve condemnation," he says, "Yeah, what of it?" <laughs> I have a high priest." who stands at the Father's right hand interceding for me. So it's Romans eight thirty three and 34. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's going to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who's at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? That's our answer. That's the only answer that, that works. And so this I think is a great help for us in that regard. Number four, if you experience this freedom of no condemnation, I think what it does is it gives us a humility and a grace toward others. I mean, it just, it just knocks out, uh, I mean, if we really get this, and I, I want to get it more because I, I think I probably need this, if, but if we, if we have a haughty attitude toward others, And we treat other people, if we have a a problem treating people harshly and sometimes ourselves being accusers, it's because we don't get this. A dear sister recently brought this up and said something like this. I'm not going to get it exactly right, but something like this. If there's no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ, that means there's no condemnation for my brothers and sisters in Christ because they're in Christ. And what if we just viewed each other as like not just this banner over me, there's no condemnation, but how about the banner over us is there's no condemnation. I think it would help us live more humbly and be more gracious to one another. And finally, fifth and final If we knew this freedom that comes from having condemnation removed, I think it would give us a steadfastness and hope. And here's what I mean by that. At the end of the day, if this is true, then everything's going to be okay no matter what's going on. No matter what's going on. Maybe you, you know, when you have an injury or financial loss or a comp- business goes belly up or you get a horrible medical report you're dying or someone you love dies suddenly or your marriage is on the rocks if it's true that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ now those things matter I don't want to make it sound like those things don't matter. But in the big picture, everything's actually going to be okay. Because the God of the universe is for you and not against you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Romans 8. Thank you for this great promise. No condemnation for those in Christ.